This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. A reading of scripture according to 1 Kings 3, 1 Kings 3, verses 5 to 13. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I should give you. Or in another translation, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. God said to him, Because you have asked for this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. For the word of God in Scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks Thanks be to God. So someone came up to you and said, you could have anything you want. What would you say? Peace. Joy. Joy. Others? Come on. Social justice. Social justice. More wi- there it is, more wishes. I like how you're thinking over there. Man, a smart one, a smart one. No one's brave enough to say like the winning Powerball numbers, or, you know? I mean, I, you know, in a setting like this, right? We feel like we have to give the right answer maybe, but I wonder if the answer we'd give here would be the same answer we would give if in this actual situation and being asked privately. Worth reflecting on. Worth reflecting on. Well, in our story, of course, God famously appears to Solomon and asks him what he should give him. And it's the closest in the biblical story to a genie story. Herb was onto something there. Uh, I'll grant you one wish, any wish you choose. You can't help but think of Robin Williams, right? In Aladdin. Phenomenal cosmic powers. Itty bitty living space. It doesn't apply in our situation, but the 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 idea of wealth. Sorry, I jumped ahead. 
Such an offer in the Bible from God to, to give someone whatever they ask for is pretty rare. This may be the, other, the only instance, uh, unless someone can think of another one. And there are three wishes here in our text. And Solomon, I don't know, he wasn't yet wise enough to ask for more wishes, but... But the idea of genies is rooted in the ancient Near East concept of jinn. Not jinn like in our reading earlier, but J-I-N-N. Jinn. And jinn were near godlike entities who believed to be godlike entities who had special powers, though they did not live in lamps. That was a later adaptation. And some historians believe that jinn uh, derived from ancient Mesopotamia. Others argue they were shaped through Persian influence, but in any case, they do predate Islam uh, as Muhammad had a fear that it was jinn who were whispering into his ear the words of the Quran and not Allah. And of course, before the Quran was written, there was no Islam, so we know jinn are older than that, uh, that tradition. But of course, that's a digression, and we know that for most of us, God doesn't show up asking us for whatever we want. But if God did, you do wonder how you would respond. One organization said, we asked 100 people from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of different ages, if you could have anything in the world, what would you ask for? If you could have anything at all. I'll list the top 10. And they lumped some together by theme. There were more than 10, obviously, with 100 people, but top 10. Number 10 was health. Surprised it wasn't higher on the list, actually. Number nine, superpowers. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of that. Number eight, purpose and direction. Number seven, world peace. So we heard that offered here. Number six, more time more time. So I don't know if that means a less busy schedule or a longer life, but more time. Quality of life, number five. Number four, happiness. Number three, travel. Well, that makes sense, I guess. But that seems travel higher than health by that much is surprising. Number two, wisdom and inner peace. So there's some Solomons out there. And number one, love and meaningful relationships. Love and meaningful relationships. So there you go. That was sort of a composite of 100 random people. Is there anything that's not on that list that surprised you that you would expect to see higher? Money. Yeah, why wasn't that on there? Maybe quality of life counted as that, but yeah, money. It'd probably be in my top 10, if I'm being, being honest. Maybe number 10 or 10 and a half. But sometimes in the church, we're made to feel guilty for expressing what we really want. And so we learn to couch it in spiritual language or to give the appropriate sort of God-centered language in our answer. What I want the most is to please God you might say. Or I just really want to love Jesus more. Those things may be true, but I feel like in certain settings we feel like we have to answer that way or, or people will judge us. 
friend posted this to social media recently. What you are convinced you are doing for God, you are really doing for yourself. How does that strike you? That feels that's pretty, pretty piercing. Do you think there's something to that? What you're convinced you're doing for God, you're really doing for yourself. Boy. There's certainly maybe true. Maybe it's more often true than we want to admit. I think the important thing, perhaps, though, is to have a little bit of a motivation of what is behind our desires. But we shouldn't feel shame for wanting things, right? Desiring things is part of being human. It's how you know you're alive. When I graduated from seminary and we were looking for our first ministry setting, we had a couple of options that um, stood out. And one was to uh, go up to Traverse City, Michigan. And one was to go to Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> but you can see where this is going. <laughs> so we visited both places, checked them out, met, met some folks, saw some of the local sites, and then we prayed about it. You probably guess where we ended up. We, we ended up up north. We ended up up north. And we framed it as we feel God leading us and so on and so forth. And I think that was true to a degree, but we also had other reasons for wanting to go to Traverse City over Des Moines, Iowa. God bless Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> but Traverse City had its own draw. If you've been there, you understand. And that was certainly God used that in our lives, and we met incredible people and, and had wonderful experiences and good friends who still live there. But it's okay, I think, that we have mixed motivations, right, in the things that we long for and want for. And it should be okay to be more honest. Well, it certainly should be okay to be more honest with ourselves. And it should be okay to be more transparent with others as well. And so Solomon asked God for understanding that so, so that he can govern well. And God is so pleased with Solomon's response that God says, even though you didn't ask for it, I'll give you long life and riches, and you'll be the most wise, wealthy, and famous king who ever lived. But of course, God is not a genie, or a djinn, or even a vending machine. And the function of prayer is not simply to ask God for what we want. And even though we know that, we sometimes revert to that in our praying. But the question remains, how do we get the things we want? How do we get the things we want? Might have to work hard for it. We might pray for it, despite what I just said. It's okay. We might hope that things just align and happen that way. But I think the quote that's on the cover of our bulletin uh, fits here from Les Brown. He says, wanting something is not enough. 
We must hunger for it. Wanting something is not enough. We must hunger for it. And so we might have to be more focused in our desires. The 15th century Indian mystic Kabir, a poet and a philosopher who today is revered by both Hindus and Muslims, argued that desire constitutes the true wealth of humanity. Desire constitutes the true wealth of humanity. And if you desire as having four stages, or perhaps better framed as four groupings of people when it comes to desire. First of all, and where most people are, says Kabir, is having countless desires. Countless desires. Too many, in fact, to pursue any one with any real conviction or purpose or dedication. And he says, people who have many desires are the poorest of people, and they seldom achieve any success in any field because they just are pulled in so many directions. If you can identify with that, I don't know. Then, he says, there are people who have not countless desires, but some desires. And these people, he says, have a somewhat more successful life because they're a little bit more focused. But then he says, a fortunate few individuals have only a few desires, and out of these come people we might call great geniuses, so on and so forth, great scientists like Madame Curie and Albert Einstein, great musicians and poets, great humanitarians and political leaders. These individuals have very few desires and thus they will make their mark in whatever field they commit to. And then finally, he says, there are a few rare individuals who have only one desire. Only one desire. These are the great mystics says Kabir, spiritual leaders who often practice meditation, a practice designed to reduce one's desires. Over time, says Kabir, meditation can reduce our desires from countless to many, then from many to some, from some to a few, and from a few, perhaps, and truly dedicated only down to one. And he says, as our number of desires become fewer, the desires themselves become less superficial and more profound. But back to that quote from Les Brown, wanting something is not enough. You must hunger for it. You must hunger for it. It reminds me of Jesus in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for they will be filled. In other words, not just folks who think justice might be nice to have, but people who hunger and thirst for it. If we want peace and justice in the world, we have to become passionate about it, so passionate about it that we're willing to set other things aside to work for it. And we can't just want a healthier environment and an end to climate change. We have to change our lives in a way that aligns with those outcomes. We have to work to shift the systems and structures in play that are contributing to a warming planet and so on and so forth with whatever it is that you want. Wanting it is not enough. You have to hunger for it. And I'd add, you have to take action to bring it about. And so if Nora wants that tea, she's just going to have to go make it herself. 
Sorry, that was a callback to our words of integration and guidance. And I'm reminded of the story, and some of you know the story. The story of the woman who wanted peace in the world, and peace in her heart, and all sorts of good things, but she was very frustrated. The world seemed to be falling apart. She'd read the papers and get depressed. One day she decided to go shopping and she picked a store at random. She walked in and was surprised to see Jesus behind the counter. Somehow she just knew it was Jesus. And she looked at him again and again and finally got up the nerve to ask, excuse me, are you, are you Jesus? I am. Do you work here? <laughs> no, I own the store. Oh, well, what are you selling here? Oh, just about anything. Anything? Yeah, anything you want. What do you want? There's our question of the day. What do you want? Jesus asked her. She said, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Jesus said, feel free, walk up and down the aisles, make a list, see what it is you want, and we'll see what we can do for you. So she did just that, walking up and down the aisles. She was amazed at what the store had. Peace on earth, no more war, an end to hunger and poverty, peace in families, no more drugs, harmony, clean air, careful use of natural resources. She wrote furiously, and by the time she got back to the counter, she had a long list. Well, Jesus took the list, skimmed through it, looked up at her and smiled. No problem. He bent down behind the counter, picked out all sorts of things, stood out, stood up and, and laid out the packets. She asked, what, what are these? Jesus replied, seed packets. This is a catalog store. <laughs> you mean you don't get the finished product, she asked, exasperated. No, this is a place of dreams. You come and see what it looks like, and I give you the seeds. You plant the seeds, you go home and nurture them and help them grow, and someone else reaps the benefits. <laughs> oh, she said. And she left the store without buying anything. So friends, the ancient question still lingers in the air. What do you want? And follow up closely behind. What are you willing to do to get it? Amen. Maybe so. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit HollandUCC.org.
www.org. Mm-hmm.